Oh, hello, my name is Andreina, and this is Girls Talk About Music, a podcast where women can talk in depth about their love of music and how music has shaped their lives. This is episode eight, The Girls Who Inspired Me. Before I start this episode, I want to preface with um, a note about why it has taken me so long to do this final episode of the first season of Girls Talk About Music. And um, we are three weeks into September, and we are obviously still in the middle of a pandemic. And I have found it really difficult to continue to create um, things that might feel superfluous or irrelevant to the situation. Um, there's so many people still suffering in so many different ways around the world. And um, that makes it really difficult to feel like I'm doing something productive. Um, but um, reflecting upon um, why I did this podcast and especially the theme of this episode, the girls who inspire me, I think is really important to persevere uh, in the face of difficulty. Um, It is really important to continue working, uh, learning, improving, researching, studying, um, surprising each other with what we find out about the world Uh, even in these terrible times. Um, So I just wanted to say it was difficult. I was busy doing all the projects as well that I'm very proud of. Um, But uh, here it is, um, the final episode of the first season of Girls Talk About Music. Uh, And this is an episode dedicated to uh, the women musicians who inspire me to do this podcast and who inspire me every day with their work. To grow up in Venezuela in the 80s and 90s, to grow up being a fan of rock music, was to grow up with an acute internalized misogyny. Everywhere I looked, there were men. They were the singers, the bass players, the drummers I admired. In music videos, even in a genre that was supposed to be about rebellion and revolution, women were completely objectified. My sisters and my friends and I prefer subgenre was progressive rock. And unlike punk and heavy metal, where a few women were creating great music despite the misogyny intrinsic to the industry, there were no women to be found in the bands we listened to. I tried to think back to my teen years, and I only see two women, and neither of them were in rock music. One was a classic musician, Gabriela Montero, an internationally renowned pianist who brought back the art of improvisation to the the world of classical music, and jazz singer Biela da Costa. I had the great luck to see both of these musicians in concert before I moved to Canada. However, when I was 14, I made a musical discovery that changed the way I would listen to music for a very long time. 
it was the early 90s and um, music shows at the time were actually great. They showed lots of videos, lots of music videos. Um, and in Venezuela, we had a number of these TV shows or video shows um, at the time. And this musical discovery happened just by chance. I was standing across the TV, across the room, and I was looking um, at the video in it, and it was um, this live concert on a huge stage, big production, lots of lights, lots of musicians. Um, and I was just looking at it, and I heard the most haunting incredible melody I've ever heard in my life. It was heartbreaking, beautiful, sensual, painful, sublime. I was transfixed. I waited until the end so I could hear who it was. And that's how I found, I found out it was Pink Floyd. And the song was The Great Gig in the Sky. I was obsessed. I knew I needed to possess the song. I knew I needed to purchase that album immediately. I needed to understand that song. I needed to feel again the world of emotions uh, the song had made me feel in just those few minutes. Of course, that song was just one among one of the greatest rock albums of all time, The Dark Side of the Moon. So I saved up the money and I bought the album. And when I listened to it, the original recording of The Great Gig in the Sky actually surpassed the live version I had heard. That extraordinary musician on the album was a British singer called Claire Torrey. Claire Torrey was a session musician who answered an ad to sing one song on a Pink Floyd album. So she went on a Sunday to do this session, and after a few tries, she came up with this incredible composition that has now become uh, one of the greatest songs on that album, The Dark Side of the Moon. And for that session... She was only paid 30 pounds, which was the fee at the time. And actually, it's 30 pounds because it was double pay on Sundays. It is really incredible that for a very long time, I didn't even know her name. It's probably the same experience for many fans of this album. We probably read her name on the album notes, but had no other way of knowing anything about her beyond knowing that she had recorded that song. Thankfully, over time, the world has come to know Claire Torrey's story, in part because in 2004, after over 30 years of recording that incredible vocal composition for the song, Torrey decided to sue EMI and Pink Floyd. Uh, she sued them, uh, over copyright ownership of the song. Best part of the story? She won.
I see a direct line between my fascination with this song as a young girl and my much later obsession with another extraordinary singer, Sia Furler. I first heard Sia in 2001 when my little brother Jose Tomas and my little sister Gabby introduced me to Zero Seven and their impossibly cool album, Simple Things. Zero Seven was made of a duo of music engineers turned musicians who collaborated with other singers and musicians to create their music. Sia contributed two songs to that album, Distractions and perhaps one of my favorite songs ever, Destiny. I love that album. And in 2004, when they released their second album, When It Falls, one of my favorite songs on that album was once again one of C.S.'s songs. But I need to fast forward to 2007 to really get to the moment when I fell hard in love with Sia. It was a difficult time, a busy time for me. I was finishing my master thesis. I was working three jobs, sleeping three, four hours at night, and crying in the shower from exhaustion. It was also the time of my space. And that's where I found out that Sia, the enigmatic singer from Zero Seven, had a live album coming out called Lady Croissant. I will write and listen to the 30-second samples on the album on her MySpace over and over. I was just completely obsessed. But I was mainly obsessed with a song called Breathe Me, a quiet, mournful song that ended with something that can only be described as this primal wailing. Of course, this song later on became a huge success for Sia. But this was all before she exploded as a global pop superstar, before Titanium and Chandelier and her currently highly conceptual face. I remember seeing her perform live. I had the chance of seeing Sia in two small venues here in Vancouver a couple of times. And I saw her for what she was and still is to me a vocal virtuoso, a musician who has achieved complete control of her instrument to bend it, shape it in any way necessary to express what she needs to express. I think Sia, then and now, is also a prodigious songwriter. She's able to write deep, powerful pop songs, not only for herself, but for many other of the current top pop singers. I have to admit that seeing Sia go from this indie, obscure, uh, not very well-known musician into an international pop star is still one of the strangest rides I've taken with an artist I love and that I admire and one that I don't fully understand yet. What is true is that Sia has always given me access to that raw and unfiltered emotion and beauty I so often crave.
I fell in love with the next girl who inspired me at a bookstore. I was employed there. My boss, who was also the owner, on top of being a book connoisseur, was a DJ with a deep and expansive musical knowledge. Needless to say, the music on our bookstore was often the highlight of an already incredible workplace. I remember clearly the day I heard this singer for the first time. I was behind the counter, bagging books or serving a customer when I heard her amid the murmur of the clients and the staff. She was singing in a familiar language, but it wasn't French or Spanish. I later learned it was Portuguese and Cape Verdean Creole. The song had a fantastic bass line, very complex, but the music was also very acoustic. The voice of the singer was rich, smooth, very unique, and following this very complex rhythm of the song, I had to ask my boss, Mark, what is this? Who is this? And Mark, he's the best. Smiling, he proudly showed me the two copies of the CD we had for sale in the store. Her name was Mayra Andrade, and the album was Navega. I bought it, of course, even though it was an expensive export. Mayra Andrade is a singer from Cape Verde, a small island country in the North Atlantic Ocean. Through her music, Mayra Andrade is bringing the traditional Cape Verdean genres of Mona, Funana, Batuque, and others to international stages. She has never made it to Vancouver and is my most fervent wish to see her live one day. Mayra Andrade sings and writes in French, English, Portuguese, and Cape Verdean Creole. Since Navega, which was released in 2006, she has released four more albums. Her voice remains one of the most sublime I've ever heard. She has the type of voice that can make you feel the wind and water and smells of her native land. It's a voice that has often brought me to tears through the inflections and choices she makes in her songs. I love her music very, very much. The next girl who inspired me are actually two girls. Lisa Kainde Diaz and Naomi Diaz are two very young Cuban-French musicians. They are sisters and they are twins. They sing in French, English, and Yoruba, and their band is called Ibeyi. Ibeyi means twin in Yoruba, and everything these girls do is as magical as that sounds. Yoruba is a West African language spoken in Western Nigeria and Benin. More importantly, Yoruba made its way to the Americas, Cuba in particular, via the slaves that were brought to the continent starting in the 18th century. The Yoruba language and the religious chants and drumming all influence Afro-Cuban music. So Montuno, Guaracha, Cha-Cha-Cha, which all then contributed to the birth of salsa. At the top of this episode, I said that to grow up in Venezuela was to grow up with an internalized misogyny. But to grow up in Venezuela was also to grow up surrounded by these sounds and rhythms 
so much so that they feel ancestral. When I first heard Ibeyi, it was this ancestral sound that captured me. Even though their music is modern, they cite electronica, soul, experimental as some of their genres in their Wikipedia, their sound is rooted in Yoruba, and those rhythms and sound fully permeate their work. I had the chance to see Ibeyi in concert in November 2017 when they came to Vancouver. And seeing them, I felt an energy I had never felt before coming from the stage. It was a pure female energy, completely engaged in the act of creation. The feeling of giddiness that one feels in true sisterhood. The show felt like it was for me. It was not above me, not below me. It was for me, a woman female fan. The show was about empowerment, creativity, harmony, peace, love. To see them play and master the individual instruments, Lisa on the piano and Naomi on the cajon and percussion, was to witness two young women owning their gift in their own terms. For a moment, I felt the beauty and power of letting young women shine in a light completely devoid of the expectations of the patriarchy, the masculine lens. For a couple of hours, they lifted the audience, I'm sure made of young people of all genders and sexual orientations, into a truly equal plane. The last musician I want to talk about is her. Spell H period, E period, R period. Her real name is Gabriela Wilson, and she's a 23-year-old R&B prodigy. I first heard about her at another musician's Tiny Desk concert on YouTube. That musician was Daniel Caesar another very young and very talented R&B singer and songwriter from Toronto, Canada. In the Tiny Desk concert, which I highly recommend you check out, he invites another singer to accompany him on the amazing song, Best Part. What follows is the smoothest, most beautiful R&B duo you can find on YouTube these days. I then saw her performing at the Grammys in February 2019 and realized she was more than a vocalist for Daniel Caesar. She was an incredible artist in her own right. What really did it for me to finally make her into one of my all-time favorites was a video of her performing a song called Carried Away, a funky piece from her 2018 album I Used to Know Her. In the video, which is a performance on a late-night show, she starts on the acoustic guitar, but then, after a couple of verses, she abandons the guitar and picks up the bass and starts jamming there. But that was not enough. After jamming on the bass, she then drops it and moves to the Roland keyboard behind her and gives the craziest organ solo to end the song. I was clapping 
I was wooing, I was in tears. Here was this young girl, a talented musician, very much occupying and subverting a traditional male type, the virtuoso guitar player, but going even beyond that by being a virtuoso not only in the guitar, but the bass and the keyboard, because women have always had to work three times as hard to be recognized as equal to a man. Like I said, I was in tears, and I was so inspired by this young woman who was so fearlessly embracing all her musical talent and not making herself small in any way. In the last couple of years, her has found great success. She has been nominated for 10 Grammys and won two, and she's just soaring creatively. Just this month, September 2020, Fender Guitars introduced her signature guitar, the Her Stratocaster. The video featuring this guitar is epic, and I will include it in my notes so you can enjoy it fully. I know we will see much, much more from her in the next several years, and I can't wait to see and hear everything that she does. So these are the girls who inspired me to do this podcast. These women liberated me from my old male rock experience growing up and expanded my musical horizons. I understand that these choices might seem unusual. There is no Beyoncé, no Bjork, no girl riot bands here. I'm not a perfect female music fan. In fact, I think that's another male construct that needs smashing. There is no perfect music fan. You love what you love and you do not need in any way to justify it to anybody, least of all the fanboys. Each of these female musicians mark an important step forward or outward in my musical experience and for that I am forever grateful. And that's the episode. Thank you very much for listening and thank you for accompanying me during this first season of Girls Talk About Music. I want to thank everybody who participated in the interviews and I will be back very soon with more interviews, more conversations with music fans and more explorations about music from our unique female perspective. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Girls Talk About Music is written and produced by me, Andreina Romero. The image design is by Pamela Rowling. The music theme is by The Good Sister. And the drum samples are by Sebastián Lavigna. You can find this podcast on Instagram at Girls Talk About Music.